Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. All right, so Easter, I love, I absolutely love this idea that around the globe for the past 24 hours, in every language that you could imagine, in tiny little mud huts, in massive cathedrals, people have been gathering together to celebrate a singular event that changed the course of human history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not even just this 24-hour period, we could go back 2,000 plus years and people have been celebrating this event that we really believe brought about chasmoclitic change to the world as a whole, the resurrection of Jesus. So um, I'll tell you this, one of the most difficult things when you're a pastor are the holidays. Here's why. It's it's, you, you, you feel like here's this unbelievable, compelling story, um, why we live, why we exist. And you feel this, this need to tell it in a fresh new way. And then you also feel like I said everything I know about Easter 15 years ago. Right. And so, what do you, so this is what happened this year. I took a Monday, Monday's my study day. And I went to um, prepare the Easter messages a couple months ago. And I sat down and I had this like glorious experience. I, I found the text. I'm like, this is perfect for Easter weekend. And I, I wrote the outline and it, I've never written that outline more efficiently. I'm like, this is like, this flowed, like God must be in this. Like I'm anointed, like this is amazing. So I came home that night and Jenny said, so how'd the Easter prep go? And I said, it was astounding. Like I was done in a matter of hours. I felt so good about it. So I gave her the outline and she looked at me and said, that's what you taught about last Easter. (laughs) And I checked and word for word, no wonder the outline came so smoothly. So I backed up and I said, oh Lord, I think I need a brand new experience for Easter because it's become a little bit repetitive, apparently, in my mind. And so I started praying, and I felt directed to a text that is not traditional whatsoever. It's actually from the book of Revelation. I never thought we'd do an Easter message out of the book of Revelation, but are you ready? And here's what I love about it. It is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And if you are a veteran, you've been following Jesus for a long time, I hope that you encounter him in a fresh way. If you're spiritually unresolved or you're early on, I pray this gives you a glimpse of who Jesus is. Let me just give you a little bit of context before we read this. A man named John, who was one of the original followers of Jesus, was there when Jesus died. He has been um, sent away in isolation on an island of Patmos by the Roman government as a form of punishment, banished. And while he's on the island, he has this profound experience. He calls it a vision. And the whole book is just filled with these things that he sees and the things that he hears. And here's the purpose of the book. God says this, John, I am going to show you some things about who I am. And I want you to write it down. And it's going to be a letter to these seven existing churches 
in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. So these seven churches, um, we know that John lived for a long time and pastored the church in Ephesus, but there were six other cities in Turkey and God gives John this picture, this revelation that he writes in a letter and then it's shared to these seven churches. So at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1.12, this is what we read as John is experiencing the resurrected Jesus. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. So John has been hearing this voice and I, we don't know if he recognizes the voice or there's something about the voice that is so compelling that he turns around. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So this number seven is throughout the book. It's about these seven churches. It represents the seven churches. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like the blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. This is all uh, imagery, speaks about Jesus, the truth that he speaks and how it cuts through the lies that we believe. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Just can't even bear to look at it. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand, symbol in the first century of acceptance, the right hand. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Let's explore this passage together. A portrait of the resurrected Jesus. First thing is this, turn around and see. This is my hope. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, like you are, you've been around a while, I pray that you turn around and this Easter, you get to see some aspect of Jesus that you've never seen before, something that is overwhelming. Jesus, uh, John knew Jesus and he, he just, can you feel he's trying his best to use words to describe what he's seeing? It's, it's beyond description. And I pray that for each of us, that we see Jesus in a unique way. And if you're spiritually unresolved, it's easy to dismiss Jesus. I understand that. But I pray that you have an encounter, that you turn and see him as you've never seen him before. It's called revelation. It's God showing himself to us in a fresh way. Now, after he turns and sees Jesus, he has this moving experience. So every, every one of us has an image of Jesus. 
Like if I said, close your eyes and picture Jesus, for some of us, it's a little bit vague. Some of us, it's like the, our favorite Jesus. It's the Jesus who's got the little sheep around his shoulders and he does not look Jewish whatsoever. He's got blue eyes and blonde hair. It looks like a really handsome surfer guy, right? And he's just compassionate, which probably isn't quite what Jesus looked like, but there's something of that view. They're like, oh, that's beautiful. Whatever Jesus you see, here's a Jesus that a lot of us would picture. This is a, a picture, one of tens of thousands from ancient art. It's a picture that encapsulates the crucifixion. And all of these pictures, they share a few things. There is an emaciated, tortured Jesus hanging on a cross. And this picture is what many of us think of when we think of Jesus. It's compelling. The the story behind this picture is that there is a God and he steps into our place. He suffers on our behalf. He absorbs the sin of the world into himself. He experiences the torture that we deserve. The justice of God is dealt with once and for all. And this is a beautiful aspect of who Jesus is. In fact, this is completely essential. If Jesus didn't die, the rift between human beings and God could never have been addressed. So we look at this and this is beautiful. But here's something unique. When John, John was there when Jesus hung on a cross, he saw that, he experienced that. But the Jesus that appears to him 55 years later in the book of Revelation, what does he say? I was dead, but now I am alive. I am alive. I am the living one. He wants to take John from this past tense understanding of Jesus When we look at this, and this is all we have, Jesus is a heroic figure who was. And here's what Jesus says to John. I am that, that was essential, but I am no longer that. I am alive. And I blaze like fire. And I am awe-inspiring and overwhelming. So John sees this Jesus, and what's his first response? (laughs) I love this. He says that he fell on his face as though dead. Just like, like you just don't want to move. You're like, why does he fall on his face as though dead? He's overwhelmed. But I think he's just poignantly aware of his failings, of his inadequacy, of the emptiness in his life. Maybe he's reflecting on the past. And in the midst of the presence of the resurrected Jesus, he has this deep sense of, I am not enough. He's humbled, he's frightened by Jesus. And listen, this is a a very common response. We're afraid of God because we know what we're actually like. We're afraid of God because we know there are secrets in my life that I don't want to be made public. And what does Jesus say to him? I've loved this. John's flat down on his face. And Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder, on his head. He puts his hand on him. And here are the first words that John hears from Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid that you're not enough. Do not be afraid that I can't forgive you or I wouldn't love you regardless of where you've been. 
Jesus comes to people who humble themselves, who experience the resurrected Jesus. And I'm unworthy. And here's what Jesus says. He puts his hand on you. He puts his hand on me, this right hand of acceptance. And he says, do not be afraid. I walk towards you, not away from you. In the midst of your humility, in the midst of your feelings of inadequacy, let me touch you and say, do not be afraid. And then Jesus makes a second statement. He says this, I am the first and the last. The first and the last. You'll notice that in the text, both first and last are capitalized. So these are titles. These are strong statements. Other places in the Bible, Jesus is described this way. The alpha and the omega. In the Greek alphabet, alpha is the first letter. Omega is the last letter. I'm the first and last. I'm the alpha and omega. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's complete. I fulfilled it all. I was the first one to be resurrected. I am the last sacrifice. And to a man who's on his face, humble before God, he's speaking these words. He's saying, John, there is nothing left for you to do. You do not have to earn my love or earn my forgiveness. I am the first. I am the last. I've completed everything. The work is done. You do not have to do more and try harder in hopes that I would love you. It's done. Do not be afraid. I am the first. I'm the last. Then he makes this third statement. John, I was dead. And now look, look, I am alive forever and ever. He wants to pull John, who was there at the crucifixion moment. He wants to pull John away. John, it's true I was dead. That was essential. But you cannot live your life with a past tense Jesus. Someone who was. He says, I was dead and now I am alive. And I'm not just alive temporarily. I am alive forever and ever. Let this compel you. Look at me, John. He invites him one more time. Look at me. Look at me as the resurrected living one, current, present, engaged in the world, engaged in our current life. And then Jesus makes a final statement. It's, it's really interesting. He says, and John, here's one thing I want you to know. I hold the keys to death and to Hades. Let's talk about that for a moment. What does that mean? Well, the first thing you got to notice is it is incredibly peculiar for Jesus, who is Jewish, to even use the term Hades. So Hebrew people didn't use the term Hades. They used the term Sheol. And Sheol throughout the Old Testament is it's a Hebrew word. It means the place of the dead. But Jesus uses the word Hades, which is a Greek word, and it's deeply ensconced in Greek philosophy regarding the afterlife. And he says, here's what I want you to know, John. I hold the keys to death in Hades, and I want you to write to these seven churches that are all Greek, and I want them to know that I hold the keys to death in Hades. What does that mean? Here's the thing that you got to know about the Greeks and the afterlife. They were utterly terrified of death. And you lived in absolute fear of the Greek god Hades. Hades was the god of the underworld. In fact, there's almost nothing written about Hades. And here's why. No one wanted to get his attention. 
if Hades was paying attention to you, that was not good. And so Hades became the Lord of the underworld, where all dead people went, according to Greek philosophy. And when you died, you came to that point of physical death. Here's what was terrifying to the Greek people is that you were separated into another world where there was another God who reigned and his name was Hades and he had absolute control over you and your future. This is what they believed. That when you died physically, you came to the river Styx, okay? It was a band, but before that, it was the river. <laughs> and on one side of the river Styx is life, mortality, and on the other side of this river at the far banks is Hades, the house of Hades, where only death reigns. And so I'm gonna show you a picture. The first God that you encountered when you died was the God Sharon. Sharon is the great boatman who took every person's corpse and ferried it across from the land of the living to the land of Hades. And he took you to the other side. And once you were at the other side, there was no leaving. Because on the other side, when you entered the realm of the dead, the realm of Hades, there was a three-headed dog named Serbius. Show you a picture. It's ancient pottery. I've got another picture. Serbius served, you're thinking that's inappropriate, but I checked very quickly. It's appropriate, okay? That's the Greek god Hades with his dog, Serbius. Serbius patrols this three-headed vicious dog who patrols the underworld so that no one can ever or has ever crossed over from death to life. He keeps you forever in the underworld. And once you move past the dog Serbius, you moved into the fields of Ashvidel. It's still a flower in Greek culture. When someone dies, you traditionally give them this flower because this is what you were told, that when you entered Ashvidel, you wandered for an indefinite period of time until this happened. Till you became unaware, every memory of everything that ever happened in your mortal life was lost. You became numb and you entered into the emptiness of Ashfidel. That wasn't the end of it. When you finally became neutralized of all memories, you encountered three judges who judged everyone's life. And there were three options from the three judges. They could send you back to Ashfidel where you would wander unaware, unconscious for eternity. If you were exceptionally bad, they would send you to Tartarus, which was a place of horrific suffering, pain, and punishment. And for those the very few who were good, they sent you to Elysium, which was a hall of feasting. So Greek people live in utter fear of death. And when Jesus says this phrase to these seven Greek churches, he says this, I hold the keys to death and Hades. First, please understand, this is a statement of victory. Of victory. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you were one of the seven churches, you'd be like, what? Jesus is saying this, I crossed over into the land of Hades to where death reigns and I've come back. No one has ever gone from one to the other. I moved from one world into the new world. And he gives this, it's a powerful statement of victory because Jesus teaches this, the Bible teaches this. We all wonder about what's life like after death. Well, 
Christianity is very peculiar, very unique. It doesn't teach that you get to come back and try again in another body. It doesn't teach that your whole goal is to leave a legacy and leave a memory. It doesn't teach that you become a disembodied spirit or become an angel. This is what Christianity teaches. That just like Jesus went to death and came back to life, that everyone who is in him, in Jesus, will one day travel from Hades, from Sheol, from the land of the dead into the land of the living, Paul is emphatic with this. He says, when Jesus returns for his second time to planet earth, this time in his undiminished glory, there will be a trumpet blast and everyone who is dead in him will literally be resurrected, will cross the river Styx if you're Greek, and you will be in the land of the living with the resurrected Jesus. And he says, and by the way, John, I hold the keys. What do keys represent? Well, even today, like if you want to honor somebody, you give them a, a fake key to the city, right? It means it's a place of honor, it's authority. Um, these are my keys. If you took this key, you could drive away in my car this afternoon. And if you took this key, you could unlock my drift boat, hook it to my car, and go fishing. <laughs> this key would get you into the front door of my home where at 6.30 this morning, I put down a whole bunch of meat on my smoker that I hope hasn't turned into charcoal. <laughs> you could take this and you could impersonate me at the gym. You'd probably do a much better job than I would. And then this, this key, this key has an M on it, which stands for master. You could get into every storage closet and every office at Faith Chapel. You would have complete access to this building. It's yours, right? Jesus says, John, you're overcome by fear. And I want you to know that I'm alive. And I want you to know that I have been to Hades. And I broke the back of the power of death. And there doesn't need to be fear that when you die, you are not ruled by the cruel God, Hades, that I have conquered Hades. I have conquered death. I have come back. And now look what I hold in my hands. I hold the keys to living hell. I hold the keys to the things that have kept you in bondage and confused for all of your life. I want you to think back for a moment just to Robert's story that we showed on the screens. Robert. I mean, it, not every one of us can say, I've been in prison more times than I can even count in my sixth time in rehab, right? Robert always wanted to change. But here's the problem. There's a living hell that is existing in his life and he is held in bondage by all of these addictions. And you know what Jesus says to any of us who experience a living hell, to any of us who are afraid of an eternal hell, he says this, I've got the keys Oh, your addiction, I've got the key to that. Your hopelessness, your deep anxiety, your fear, I have the key to set you free. Your pride that causes you to harm other people. Jesus says, I've got the key to that. I have the key to set you free, to deliver you, to give you hope, to help you start again. And I have the key to eternity as well. The resurrected Jesus, not a dead man, but one who holds the keys to your life and my life. He puts his hand 
on your shoulder. It says, do not be afraid. Look at me. I'm the first. I'm the last. I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to bring freedom and hope to your life. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.